Welcome to this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Meg Rivers, Editor-in-Chief of the Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine and your podcast host. Here with me is my co-host, Miranda Schmalfis, Group Social Media Editor. The Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, we speak with Steve Paul, Chairman of the Board, President and Chief Executive Officer for Karuna Therapeutics, as well as Founder and Chief Operating Officer of Karuna Therapeutics, Andrew Miller. Andrew was also one of our 2020 Emerging Pharma leaders. Miranda and I will discuss the following with Steve and Andrew. We will talk about their journey into pharma, what factors into their decision to pursue any individual drug products, what the treatment has been like, treatment options has been like historically for schizophrenia and psychosis in Alzheimer's disease, the company's drug, CAR-XT, which is being evaluated in schizophrenia and psychosis in Alzheimer's disease. And last but certainly not least, we talk about potential marketing and commercialization challenges for CAR-XT. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back with the interview. Hey there, Andy Studna, co-host of the Applied Clinical Trials podcast here. Check out brand new episodes of the ACT podcast every two weeks on Tuesdays at 10. And you can find past episodes plus much more by logging on at AppliedClinicalTrials.com. Hello, listeners. We're here today with Steve Paul and Andrew Miller of Corona Therapeutics. Thanks for joining us today, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, Andrew and Steve, can you tell us about yourself? What has your journey into the world of pharma been like? Andrew, you want to start? Sure, I can start. I'm originally a PhD scientist by training. I spent about the last 15 years in biotech pharma, more coming at it from the entrepreneurship in sort of early life sciences perspective, I spent a number of years at a group where my, my role was really to diligence and attempt to start companies around what would hopefully be transformational technologies. Through that, I became very interested in the field of mental health, in particular schizophrenia, the broader patients of psychosis and dementia, as well as a number of other disorders inside of mental health. Yeah, as part of that, I had the opportunity to really focus in on schizophrenia, which eventually led to the, the founding of Karuna and the invention of our, our lead program, CarXT. You know, I've been working full-time at Karuna and CarXT for really the last about six and a half years, focused on how do we develop CarXT from a clinical perspective and obviously been able to achieve a number of important milestones along our way with our anticipated NDA submission here uh, in the middle of next year. Great. And Steve, what has your journey been like? Well, my journey's been a long one, Miranda. I'm a physician scientist trained as a psychiatrist and neuroscientist. I began life in academia. I was at the National Institute of Mental Health, the NIMH, which is part of the NIH. Spent almost 20 years there overseeing a laboratory-based as well as a clinical-based research program for the major mental illnesses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. In 1993, I moved to a pharmaceutical company, Eli Lilly. This was a few years after we launched Prozac, a iconic antidepressant, as you know, and we were 
investing very heavily in new medicines for psychiatric illnesses. I led that program for a while, ultimately became head of R&D at Lilly, and then retired uh, about 10 years ago and started several of my own companies in the neuroscience CNS space, if you will, and came on board at Karuna about four years ago, summer of 2018. Karuna had um, been developing a, a molecule in combination with another molecule that I had been developing way back at Lilly. That molecule is called xenomalin. We were developing it uh, for improving memory and learning cognition in patients with Alzheimer's disease and accidentally serendipitously discovered its antipsychotic properties. Unfortunately, xenomalin had some side effects that proved limiting and we couldn't circumvent those side effects, but Andrew and his colleagues in the early days of Karuna, we were able to come up with a strategy to mitigate, reduce those side effects by combining xenomalin with trospium, a drug that blocked the side effects in the peripheral nervous system, if you will. And that proved to be very effective. And given what we had seen back at Lilly as to the novel properties of this medicine in improving psychosis, in this case, in patients with Alzheimer's, but also in patients with a, a very serious mental illness called schizophrenia. I got very excited about the prospects of actually developing the, this drug, successfully developing it for treating schizophrenia and what we call dementia-related psychosis. So I got back on board, back in the saddle, so to speak, at Karuna, and I think the rest has been history uh, with respect to where we've been able to take the molecule and how we built what I think is gonna be a really important new company. Thank you both for sharing a bit about your background. I'm curious, uh, Steve, you had mentioned that you worked for Eli Lilly and the launch of Prozac. I think a lot of people would consider Prozac one of those foundational mental health medications. Can you comment a little bit more about your experience in what I consider kind of the modern day era of mental health medication? Yeah, as I indicated earlier, I, I happen to be a psychiatrist. And so I started my career never thinking I'd actually go to a drug company or start a biotech company, but rather that I'd study the basic brain mechanisms involved in diseases like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and depression. And that's what I spent most of my early career on. Uh, now, I am also a what we call a psychopharmacologist. So we kind of gravitated towards you know, how do drugs work in the brain? How do they improve, you know, the symptoms of, of major mental disorders like schizophrenia, like major depression? So I, you know, again, I then moved to Lilly where we took this to the next level and Lilly had been very successful in launching Prozac, which was the first SSRI successfully launched in the U.S. And that ushered in a real new era of being able to treat the major mental disorders. Lily subsequently launched, I helped launch an antipsychotic drug for schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, a compound called Zyprexa, and then a new antidepressant coming on the heels of Prozac called Cymbalta, all very successful medicines in their time. Now, the reality is we haven't seen much innovation since those early days, and that's been a challenge for the field. In fact, the drugs that I've just summarized or underscored our drugs that actually work very similar to the very first drugs that were introduced way back in the 50s and 60s when we had a drug called Thorazine or Chlorpromazine for treating psychosis, the tricyclic antidepressants like Tofranil and Elevil, Imipramine and Amitriptyline for treating depression. These were iterations of those drugs. 
had slightly different side effects, were a bit safer, especially as a case of, of Prozac. But what we're now looking at is um, a completely new era, Meg, in looking at very mechanistically novel medicines that we hope work better and with much better tolerability, much fewer side effects than that older generation of medicines. But there's been a gap of 20, 25 years, really, in bringing forward this new generation of medicine. It's been difficult. And in fact, many of the major companies that you know commercially were very successful in this space, like Lilly and Pfizer, you know, Merck and others, have abandoned the area completely because they didn't see the opportunity. One of the things we're excited about and proud about, really, at Karuna is that we've uh, rejuvenated the field, so to speak. We've kind of resurrected the notion that you can do better. Patients really require better medicines. There's huge unmet medical need. We're not curing schizophrenia. In fact, we don't even talk about what we call remissions when we talk about schizophrenia. These are patients that they get better with the current medicines, but not that much better. And most of them are still symptomatic and disabled, importantly disabled by their illness. So that's what what Kroon is all about, is trying to do something better. And we have what we believe is the right new medicine to potentially do that. So from a C-suite perspective, what factors into your decision to pursue any individual drug product or a specific therapeutic condition? Andrew, you want to take this one? I think obviously at the sort of foundation of Corona was really a desire to develop what we hoped would be a new standard of care or a new mechanism action related treatment for schizophrenia that really came from the idea that as Steve referred to, unfortunately, you know, there are a number of treatment options available for patients living with schizophrenia, but they all rely on the same fundamental underlying pharmacology from some of the treatments discovered, you know, 50 years ago or more. And so there's still such a huge need for new and differentiated treatments. And I think, you know, the foundation of the company was really about, can we introduce something to meet that need? I think one of the challenges in development of new treatments for mental illness is really that we, we lack some of the fundamental understanding of the biology and pathophysiology of these diseases, you know, technologies and advancements that have really revolutionized many areas of medicine, like oncology or infectious disease have really failed to offer innovations that have helped improve or introduce new mental health treatments. And so when we're thinking about, you know, what, what we could work on, what is interesting that's out there, certainly the aspect of Xenomaline that was very attractive was the idea, it's, as Steve referred to, it already had human proof of concept that it could have the therapeutic benefits that we were interested in. Fundamentally, from a drug development and a discovery and development perspective in mental illness, that's probably the single most significant risk. We don't have the ability to predict new and different treatments. Are they going to, to really be effective when we're able to get them into human clinical trials? And so I think that was a huge point for us was the idea that that had been de-risked meaningfully, there was a signal of efficacy, it was ready to test in humans, but also that it, it was also something unique. There are no current muscarinic class of drugs. Everything that's out there right now for schizophrenia is modulating dopamine and serotonin, particularly the D2 and 5-HT2A receptors. And so it was important for us to really move away from that as something that could give us the option or the potential to really be meaningfully different and and in our view, meaningfully better than what's currently out there. Earlier, Steve had mentioned, I believe it was a drug that had antipsychotic effects that was already in existence 
how often do you basically have existing drugs that are shifted to use as mental health treatments versus starting from scratch for mental health treatments? Yeah, I think many, I shouldn't say all, but many of the drugs that we've discovered that work for psychiatric illnesses were discovered serendipitously. I, I think that's kind of a, maybe a sad fact. I, I don't know. It's an opportunity. And this is true of the very first antipsychotic drug, Thorazine, true of the very first antidepressant drug, amipramine, also true of the first mood stabilizing drug, lithium, which is still used to this day for bipolar disorder. What we've been able to do in many cases is take these clinical observations and then better understand how these drugs are actually now working. We know, for example, Zenomalin, the drug that we're developing, combination with the trospium, but the brain, active brain ingredient is Zenomalin. We know it stimulates two receptors in the brain for a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, the so-called M1 and M4 receptors. And that's how the drug works. And we've pieced together some of the circuitry, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, there are now opportunities to even improve on that moving forward. Now we have a drug that works, is well tolerated, and we think could change the way we think about treating schizophrenia, which in our case, we have a drug that works on these positive symptoms, hallucinations and delusions, which are very common, but also potentially on the negative symptoms, the social withdrawal, the apathy, the energy that these patients experience, as well as even the cognitive impairment that we observe in patients with schizophrenia. They develop a kind of a form of dementia, really. And our drug may actually work on all three symptom domains, which is very exciting, very novel. We have to show that in clinical trials, but it could be a, you know, as, and I think it's not too overstated, it could be a game-changing way of treating a disease with a very novel mechanism. And importantly, our drug doesn't suffer from some of the tolerability problems that are very common with the current generation of antipsychotic drugs. The best ones cause massive weight gain in patients sedation, Parkinsonian-like motor movements, we call those extrapyramidal symptoms, and our drug has none of that. So uh, it, it, it's really an important treatment advance, arguably started, if you will, by a serendipitous observation, but then something that we've taken to the next level, improved upon it from the side effect perspective, and uh, have successfully moved through now two fairly significant placebo-controlled trials, one phase two and one phase three. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Can you explain how CAR-XT differs from currently available antipsychotics? I can take that one. And that's actually, in, in some ways, an easy answer, which is you know the underlying pharmacology of, of CAR-XT is completely different than existing treatments. We've referred to it a, a couple of times, but Everything that's currently available right now to treat schizophrenia modulates the dopamine D2 receptor, and in many cases, the serotonin 5-HT2A receptor. And we have no direct activity at either of those receptors with synomaline. We're focused on the M1 and M4 uh, muscarinic acetylcholine receptors, the different biology underlying that, different neurotransmitter system you know, I think clearly it creates a treatment that's different. I, I think as we've indicated, I think different in a number of good ways, especially given the absence of um, the dopamine and serotonin related side effects that Steve referred to earlier, which are very problematic for patients, especially with chronic treatment, but also that I think we have the opportunity not only to have therapeutic benefit towards psychosis or the positive symptoms of schizophrenia, 
but I think in our clinical trials to date have shown potential for treating both the negative and cognitive symptoms of schizophrenia. So those are probably less familiar to people, um, those particular symptom domains, but the anhedonia, the energy, the lack of motivation, the executive function deficits are extremely important um, in that they're a significant source of disability long-term for patients and really prevent them from enjoying and entering back into a number of daily activities, employment, et cetera. So I think what's really exciting about you know, what we're doing and, and I think our data so far is, again, the suggestion to be significantly different from both an efficacy perspective as well as a tolerability and safety perspective. And that all falls from this fundamentally different underlying science and mechanism of action. And I think we talked a bit about this earlier, but in case either of you want to expand on this, where does the biopharma industry still have room to improve when it comes to the treatment of schizophrenia? And do you have any predictions for where the treatments may head in the coming years? Yes. Well, let me start and Andrew can comment as well. Uh, Schizophrenia today is not well treated. Somewhere between 10 and 30% of patients don't respond at all to current drugs. And of the, those that respond, the vast majority of them still have residual symptoms. Um, often those negative and cognitive symptoms, which in the absence of the positive symptoms, hallucinations and delusions become the most disabling symptoms of the disorder. So functional recovery for patients with schizophrenia is very poor, very poor. Only 10% of patients with schizophrenia ever are gainfully employed. So that gives you a, a kind of a picture. And many of these patients can't establish relationships. They don't get married. They don't have families, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very bad illness to get. And in fact, it occurs often pretty early in life, usually late teenage years, early young adulthood, people get symptomatic and frankly, they can remain, many of them disabled for their entire lives. So it's, a, it's not, not, a, not a good disease and still poorly treated. Now, on the one hand, as I said earlier, if we didn't have antipsychotic drugs, the current uh, class of drugs, we'd be in pretty desperate shape as well. These drugs do reduce mainly positive symptoms in many patients to a, a modest degree. Uh, they don't really touch negative and cognitive symptoms at all, but they do allow patients to get out of hospitals uh, and to get out of institutions. Now, unfortunately, large percentages of them end up back in the prison system, into jails, which has turned out to be our largest mental health hospital, to be honest, or they're homeless. About 50% of patients who are uh, living on the streets have schizophrenia and a combination of schizophrenia and substance abuse, but that's where they are unfortunately, uh, because treatment's difficult to get. Patients also don't like to stay on these meds, which is one thing we like about our med, CAR-XT. It seems to be a bit more patient-friendly with respect to these side effects that often cause patients to stop taking their medicine. When they stop taking their medicine, they have a relapse, and they usually get psychotic pretty quickly after that. So the, the treatment of schizophrenia uh, is in need of... Um, dire need, I should say, of improvements. And not just our medicine, we, we, we really like where we are, we like what we're offering, but potentially combinations of medicines, other mechanisms, et cetera, need to be explored. But it is an area that, um, you know, again, most, most people don't fully appreciate that because we do have some drugs, but these drugs are, you know, for the most part, pretty inadequate for most patients. I am curious, 
in the realm of psychiatry, it's my understanding, and uh, Steve, I, I'd like to direct this question to you for, uh, because of your background in psychiatry. For treating like schizophrenia in the past, do, are patients often prescribed different classes of medication since it sounds like it's the treatments currently available for uh, schizophrenia is really lacking? Like, Do they take mood stabilizers and SSRIs and all these different things at the same time to try and help? Well, give you a couple of examples to support sort of where you're going. Number one, uh, 75% of patients who are prescribed an antipsychotic are not on that antipsychotic drug 18 months later. They're on something else. Uh, and that's because the responses are usually very meager, very inadequate. And so psychiatrists, doctors are always trying new meds and, okay, well, you didn't respond that well to that one. Let's try you on another one. And then to your point, often uh, there are combinations used. So it would not be uncommon for a patient who had schizophrenia, who still had negative symptoms and maybe even depression to be prescribed an antidepressant drug. Uh, and there's often challenges with diagnosis. Does the patient have schizophrenia? Do they have bipolar disorder? And in some cases, sometimes it's not so clear. So it would not be uncommon for a patient with schizophrenia to be on lithium, of course, it wouldn't be uncommon for a bipolar patient to be on an antipsychotic to treat the manias either. So there is a lot of combination. Uh, and I think in part, this reflects a certain degree of frustration with the response that patients usually have to a given agent. It's the rare patient that has schizophrenia that gets really much better. Uh, I can assure you that if I brought in, you know, patients with schizophrenia into the office and we sat and talked with them, even those that were in quotes adequately treated, you would know there was something, something wrong. And so, you know, we do need better functional responses, functional improvements. And I think we're gonna need better medicines. Every so often there's a drug called clozapine, which has been used for treatment resistant patients. It has a whole bunch of bad side effects, by the way. But every so often, there are patients that are treated with clozapine who get almost completely better. And when you see that, you think about, well, well, maybe we can do much better if we just found the right medicine with the right mechanism, and maybe it's going to be combinations of medicines. Uh, that would be you know, my bet as well. So there's a lot of unmet medical need, a lot of room for improvement here. So you had discussed this a bit earlier, but CAR-XT is currently being evaluated in schizophrenia as well as psychosis in Alzheimer's disease. Can you talk a little bit about the psychosis in Alzheimer's disease, the indication for that? What treatments are currently available to treat psychosis in Alzheimer's disease? I mean, I, I think with respect to Alzheimer's disease, I think many people are quite familiar with sort of the um, cognitive decline and, and symptoms associated with Alzheimer's, but probably a little less familiar with the idea that as many as 50% of patients with Alzheimer's will develop behavioral or psychiatric symptoms, including um, hallucinations and delusions, um, which are significantly overlapping with what we refer to as psychosis or positive symptoms in schizophrenia. We've spent some time talking about the limitations of existing antipsychotics, they have all of those same limitations, except perhaps even worse in uh, patients with dementia, specifically with Alzheimer's disease. So 
Um, there are actually currently no approved medicines for treating the psychosis and Alzheimer's disease. We use off-label the treatments that are approved for schizophrenia. Um, and patients with Alzheimer's tend to be even more sensitive to the side effects of existing treatments, particularly the uh, Parkinsonian-like movement disorders that Steve referred to earlier, significant sedative effects. In addition, there's actually an FDA box warning for increased mortality um, associated with antipsychotic use in the elderly. So, you know, from a societal perspective, there's been a, a big movement to try to decrease the use of existing dopamine and serotonin-based antipsychotic medicines in the elderly for that reason. But unfortunately, we don't really have an alternative at this point. Um, and that's really what we're hoping to, to bring to the table with CAR-XT is not just the potentially first FDA approved and indicated treatment for Alzheimer's psychosis, but something that again, really lacks the significant baggage of um, existing treatments that we've referred to. And this is actually the patient population, uh, Alzheimer's patients, where the antipsychotic benefit of xenomine was serendipitously discovered, uh, which Steve referred to earlier. So we've been able to take our approach with CAR-XT, demonstrate that we can substantially reduce particularly the GI side effects that were originally associated with xenomaline, um, and now actually have recently just started a phase three program for the treatment of psychosis and Alzheimer's disease. I don't know, Steve, if you want to emphasize any additional points there. No, except to say, again, underscore that it's a very bad condition. This is also often a condition that takes patients from a home setting to an institution, very challenging to treat, very difficult current drugs, are almost contraindicated. It's also amazing, they did a, a study, it was published in the New York Times uh, recently, showing that about 20% of nursing home patients are on uh, an antipsychotic drug, even though for the most part, <laughs> they don't work that well and they have a lot of very bad side effects. So there's a huge opportunity here. Remember there are 6 million people in the US with Alzheimer's disease roughly as Andrew mentioned, 30 to 50% of these will, will develop these behavioral symptoms, and we don't have anything that can treat them at this point. So beyond psychosis and Alzheimer's disease and schizophrenia, where is CAR-XT headed beyond those two? Let me start, and Andrew can add. We are very interested in going after these other core symptoms of schizophrenia. So negative and cognitive symptoms likely have to design different trials to show that the that CAR-XT works for these symptoms in patients with schizophrenia. But that I think is a big opportunity. So instead of thinking of CAR-XT as an antipsychotic drug, which treats mostly psychosis, positive symptoms, think of it as a drug that can treat holistically treat schizophrenia. And that that's a big potential breakthrough if we can demonstrate that, you know, in the clinic. There are other psychotic disorders, you know, bipolar disorder, particularly bipolar mania is certainly a possibility. Parkinson's psychosis, patients who take levodopa to control their motor symptoms often develop psychotic symptoms. They develop kind of what we call levodopa-induced dyskinesias, these abnormal motor movements. We think there's an opportunity for CAR-XT to work in that disorder as well. So there's lots of room to go with this medicine, other indications to pursue. But I would tend to try to remind people that we've already carved out a pretty big niche for ourselves in schizophrenia and dementia-related psychosis. So I think we're going to stay there until we bring the drug to patients. I would just add one thing to that quickly, Steve. You know, I think one of the 
other benefits of CAR-C we've talked about, particularly given its activity at the M1 muscarinic receptor is the potential procognitive effects, right? We spoke about cognitive symptoms in schizophrenia. In the original study, there was also an observation of benefits towards cognitive function in patients with Alzheimer's disease as well. And so when you think about, you know, attention, working and learning memory, executive function, there's a lot of illnesses that have impairment in those cognitive domains. So that offers a lot of opportunities for us as well. Think about the potential applicability of CAR-XT, but the list is probably longer than, you know, we can, we can, you know, pursue right now. So it's really about prioritizing and strategizing about um, how we can best demonstrate the benefits of CAR-XT. One thing I'm curious about is uh, what do you foresee, if anything, as potential challenges for marketing and commercialization, specifically, obviously, for CAR-XT? Well, we're launching into an environment where there's a lot of generic competition. There are a lot of these earlier generation medicines that have gone off patent, so they're generic. And so we'll need to make sure that we can convince prescribers and payers that what we're offering here is true innovation. Again, lack of weight gain and metabolic syndrome, which produces hypertension and diabetes and strokes and heart attacks, et cetera unlikely to occur with the medicine that we have. Lack of EPS, lack of something called tardive dyskinesia, which we haven't talked about, which is a permanent neurological sequelae of taking antipsychotic drugs over a period of time. Our drugs shouldn't produce that at all because we don't work like the other drugs work. So we have a little bit of education to do. We have to work with payers to make sure they see the innovation. Again, if we have a drug that treats negative and cognitive symptoms and all the other drugs don't, have to show that, obviously. We have, I think, something that's going to take a very disabling illness and make it less disabling, allow patients potentially to get back to more normal lives, et cetera. So I think that's going to be particularly attractive, certainly for patients, their families, and hopefully payers. But that's, I think, the big challenge. When you're launching something new, you need to educate people, convince them that that this is really new, and that there's real value, that the value proposition here is indisputable. And I think that's the case with our drug, but we have some work to demonstrate that. Just to clarify for CAR-XT, will it be on patent once it's officially launched? Yeah, we have a portfolio of intellectual property around CAR-XT. Currently, we have patents um, that are out to 2039 expiration date at this point in the U.S., Thank you both so much for joining us today. We appreciate your sharing your time and insight. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We enjoyed being here with you. Now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, this is Andrew Miller, the founder and chief operating officer for Karuna Therapeutics and a emerging pharma leader. And you know, my my tip is really about identifying and following your passion to meet a need. I think fundamentally that's what our industry is about. That's what individual accomplishment and I think fulfillment is about is choose something that's really meaningful to you that can make a difference for people. And I think with that as a guiding principle, both in terms of what your long-term goals are, but how you achieve them in the shorter term. I really think that's important. I think is representative of hopefully what we do every day at Karuna is keep our eyes really focused on, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. You know, that might not lead you to all the right answers. It might not feel like it helps you with all of your day-to-day decisions, but I think from an overarching perspective, if that's where you stay focused on, 
I think that's the best path to, you know, being a leader and having long-term impact here, not just for yourself, but I think most importantly for patients that we're trying to serve. I'm Steve Paul, CEO and Chairman of the Board of Karuna Therapeutics, and my one business tip is to always work with, find, recruit people that are better than you are, smarter than you are. It's one of the reasons I work with Andrew Miller. And if you do that consistently, you will be successful. You'll always be successful and you'll have a successful business. Just remember, people make it work. And if you find better people and smarter people, it'll always work for you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast, where we take you behind the headlines to provide expert tips from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube at Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions or to get in touch with the editors, please email us at farmexec at mjhlifesciences.com. For sponsorship opportunities, please go to farmexec.com slash advertise. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.